Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. <laughs> Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? It is, not the one who, is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you, as a, on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciple said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. Sarah. I also want to say thank you to our communion volunteers. They are doing a great job during this time. We had some technical difficulties with communion today. I apologize about that, but I think we got through it just fine. Hospitality is kind of an odd thing, don't you think? It's interesting because the difference of an invitation changes things completely. If I've invited you into my home and you come inside and you are, are eating my food or, or sitting at my table or if you're invited to stay over and you're sleeping in my bed, all of that is normal. If you have not been invited in, then all of that becomes something else entirely. Um, the, the culture has changed quite a bit from, from 
years past so that it's uncommon for certain things to happen, like a knock at the door that you're not expecting. I know that for some of you that may not seem like it's a strange thing to get a knock at the door, and for others, when a knock that you're not expecting comes, you feel the urge to hide, because who does that anymore? It's even stranger if the knock comes from somewhere that you're not expecting. So last Sunday after church, I went home and I was changing clothes to uh, get ready to take my dog for a walk, and um, I hear a knock at the door. But the strange thing about this is it's a knock at the door that leads in from the garage, the garage which was closed. There should be no one knocking from the inside of my garage. So I had, and, and, and then I noticed that the knob turns and the door starts to open. And so there's this immediate thought, all right, which situation am I in? Do I greet this person aggressively as someone who was hiding in my garage and ought not be uh, entering my house or is something else going on? I chose the latter, and, and one of our elderly neighbors had knocked on the door and come inside to let us know that the, the garage had gone down and, and come back up, and she just wanted to, to let us know. But that, that, that change of, is the person supposed to be there or not, is significant. Hospitality hinges on that. So we're talking about hospitality today. And our our single-sentence sermon summary is this. Jesus calls us to a lifestyle of hospitality for the purpose of peace. Let me say that again. Jesus calls us to a lifestyle of hospitality for the purpose of peace. See, Luke, Luke 22, it's one of these really important chapters in the gospel. And Luke loves meals. There are nine of them. I read through Luke this week uh, quickly to see how many meals there were. There are nine in the gospel of Luke. And this one is, is third from the last, but I think that it's most important. But when, when Luke wants to reveal something important about Jesus, he likes to do it with a meal. Now, this is the, the the special meal, we know it as the institution of the Lord's Supper. But in this context, in this time, they're celebrating Passover. They're celebrating the time when God rescued his people from Egypt. This is an important holiday for the Jewish people. And so we know the story, right? They, they're sitting at the table. Jesus knows that one of them will betray him. There's the, the bread and the cup. But the Luke story has some distinctives to it. And so I want to pull out three pieces from the Luke story. And I want us to look at them specifically because each one says something about hospitality and also how we're to live our lives as Christians. So the first part I want to pull out are verses 17 to 20. And I'm going to read them again. I don't know if they can be put up there. It's not, it's not a big deal if they can't. You're welcome to follow along in your Bibles or just listen. Luke 22, 17 to 20. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I'll not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So during this meal that Jesus ate with his apostles, he he brings together several truths that we need to remember. And one of them is this, that it is all about Jesus. Not just communion, not just this supper that they were eating, but that's something that's true for our entire lives. It is all about Jesus. 600 years before Jesus was born, there was a prophet named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah spoke of a new covenant for God's people. A new covenant that would see his law put in their minds and written on their hearts by the Holy Spirit. And here in this meal, Jesus is telling his followers that the time of the new covenant is coming. And this new covenant is a thing that we are familiar with. It's a thing that we become part of or we accept when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We connect with him. We become adopted into his family. We repent and our sins are forgiven. We become sons and daughters of God. That's the new covenant. And it's all about Jesus. Now, one thing about our faith, one thing about the new covenant, something that doesn't work. A lot of the times we're tempted to live lives where we we live our lives the way we want them, and then we just kind of add a little bit of Jesus to them. Right? I'm going to live in the way I want to live, but, but I'll also go to church on Sunday. I'll also give when the offering plate comes around. And that way I don't have to feel guilty about not thinking about it from Monday to Saturday. But you see, this this covenant doesn't work that way. We can't just live our lives and add a little bit of Jesus to it. We can't just be Christians once a week. Jesus wants everything. Our lives become all about him. And so it starts to affect the way that we behave with our family the way that we behave at work, the way that we behave with those people that we we like least, that we struggle with most, the way we behave when we come up against temptation, the way we behave when we have an opportunity to do good. All of that has to come and change so that we see it through the lens of the covenant. We see it through the lens of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so I want to make this very practical. One specific thing that you may not do that I'd like to encourage you to. We're taking communion every week. We're going to take it again next Sunday. Now this isn't going to last forever. It is lasting for a little while. And and when we do that, I want to encourage you to remember that that cup... And that bread that we take part in, it's all about Jesus. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven and 28, Paul says this. He says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread 
and drink from the cup. You see, it is easy for us to lose our Jesus focus during the week. It is easy for us to become distracted. One thing that communion offers you is an opportunity to stop. Examine your heart. Recommit to him or repent if you need it. Another another opportunity for that is every time you wake up in the morning, every time you sit down for a meal. We pray before meals, don't we? But a lot of the times we pray, have you noticed, we have those standard prayers. Some of us even have the same prayer we pray at every meal. I remember in college, it was amazing. You could watch a table of people sit down and all bow their heads silently and close their eyes. And their eyes would open and their heads would pop up at the exact same time because there was a rote prayer that was given. But what if we changed that? What if we made the prayers before meals genuine recommitments and reconnections, genuine expressions of thanks to him? Whether it's at communion or at a meal, take it as an opportunity to remember that it's all about Jesus. I want to pull out a second Peace. So, so it's all about Jesus, and he calls us to hospitality as a lifestyle. I'm going to explain what that means in a moment, but he calls us to hospitality as a lifestyle. Verses 24 to 27. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Doesn't that just make them very real to you? What group with Jesus wouldn't wonder who's, who's best, who's right, who's closest? This is something that they did frequently. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. In other words, people with power frequently like to pretend they have everyone else's best interests in mind, but they want to be seen As people of power. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table, but I am among you as one who serves? You see, it's passages like this that that show that Jesus. The the culture he wanted to produce, the communion that he wanted to make among his followers, the fellowship, looks exactly like the culture's does, just flipped upside down. It's exactly the culture that we are part of in, in America, in the Midwest, in Washington, in the surrounding areas, but it's flipped upside down. He wants you to see the ones who serve as the greatest. And that's just a little counterintuitive to us. One of the Greek words I've spoken about a lot is koinonia. It's what we named the youth group in 2010, and it's, it's an important word in the New Testament. Koinonia means fellowship. It means this deep and intimate participation in one another. It means this, this considering the other first. This this service-oriented love. 
And that's what Jesus calls us to have, but, but not just with each other. He wants us to have that with everyone. It, Paul paints the picture this way in, in Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value others above yourselves. This sounds like hospitality, doesn't it? You invite someone over, but you take care to make sure that they have what they need. They have the drink they need, the food they need. You make sure that they're comfortable. You, you put their needs above yourself. But Jesus wants us to take that idea, that hospitality idea, and make it the way we live always. You can put it this way. He wants you to go out to lunch and see the person that's greatest at the table being the waiter. To sit around the table and to see the server as the one who's most important. He wants us to live our lives that way, where we, we look for those who serve, who don't need to be put forward, and we value them highest. Because there's something very right about being willing to look around at the people around us, and consider them as more important. Now, this is a weird thing to say on Mother's Day, and I want to I make a, an addendum here. Many of you are about to go out to lunch, and you're about to celebrate someone. I am not saying that you should not celebrate the mother that you are celebrating. Please, please do. What I'm talking about is a lifestyle where we look, and instead of needing to be the one who's most important, we look for an opportunity to put others before ourselves. And of course, it's important that you take care of yourself. And it's, of course, it's important that you, you don't let anyone take advantage of you in a way that's going to be harmful. I'm not saying otherwise. What I'm saying is we're called to look out and to focus on those outside of ourselves as greatest. To focus on those who do not need to put themselves highest as greatest, to value humility and service. So the first thing that we, we took from this passage is that it's all about Jesus. The second thing is that he calls us to hospitality as a lifestyle. And the third is this. He calls us to hospitality as a lifestyle for the purpose of peace. Verses 36 to 38. He said to them, but now I know, or but now, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It's written, he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you, this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, see, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. We wonder what that's enough means. Is he saying that, oh, all we're going to need are two swords? We have two swords, that's enough. That's enough swords. I, I don't think that's what Jesus is doing. A lot of the times in the Gospels, the disciples, the apostles, show themselves to really, really not get it. Jesus will be saying something, teaching something, and they will be totally misunderstanding what he says. And sometimes Jesus is impatient with them. I don't think we can blame him for that. And here... He's not saying two swords are enough. He's saying that's enough. We're not, we're not talking about this anymore. You've misunderstood. 
It's not about having swords. Jesus doesn't want them to go and get swords. We know that because soon after this is the garden, and you know what happens in the garden. Peter draws a sword and cuts off an ear, and Jesus stops him. He didn't want him to have a sword. Jesus is not advocating for violence here. We can know for sure that Jesus was pretty firmly committed to peace. But he's committed to peace. He wants peace for us, but he wants something else as well. Those, that idea of having swords. It's a, a zeal, a commitment, an understanding that conflict is going to be a part of the life of a Christian. My cell phone is beeping. I'm sorry about that. Sorry. (laughs) To understand that, that the Christian life is going to take struggle. It's going to take perseverance. It's going to be difficult. He calls us to this. But he calls us to that kind of rugged commitment toward peace. Now, a lot of times we can think that peace is just the absence of conflict. We can think that peace means no one is arguing or fighting with one another, but that's not what peace means. Peace in the Bible is when relationships are the way they're supposed to be. Peace is when relationships are the way they're supposed to be. If we just think that they're about that peace is the absence of conflict, then what's going to happen is we're going to have a lot of unresolved issues. Because if you haven't let them go, they just kind of build. Imagine this, you, you're angry about something and you don't, you don't ever tell the person. And then you find yourself at a table with them. And there's no phone to distract you, there's no, there's no thing in between you and them, you're just sitting there eating a meal. It's difficult to not feel the tension that comes from un- resolved conflict. They poison relationships. Now, dinner is a great time to celebrate peace in relationships. It's hard to hold on to that conflict and to be able to sit around a table and not have it be immediately obvious to everyone. What Jesus calls us to is peace in our relationships, a firm, strong commitment to it. And that means sometimes it's important for us to go to someone and to say, I'm upset about this. It also means that sometimes when someone comes to you and tells you that they're upset about something, that doesn't mean that the relationship needs to be over or in a rift. It means it's an opportunity for figuring it out for putting it behind. Sometimes it means it's an opportunity for you to apologize. And what if we were just okay with that? What if we were just willing to not let unresolved conflict poison the relationships in our lives? What if we were okay with really, truly being people of peace? The relationship we have with ourselves, the the struggles we might be dealing with internally that we don't talk to anyone. Your relationship with yourself needs peace. You need to deal with what you're struggling with. Your relationship to your family, your relationship to your friends, your relationship with the Lord. When there's rifts, when there's unresolved problems, 
putting them away and pretending they're not there, all that does is introduce poison. If we're going to be committed to peace, if we're going to be willing to have two swords or have swords like Jesus tells his, his disciples to get, not literally, but that kind of zealous willingness to undergo the struggle of fighting for peace, if we're going to do that, then imagine what would happen. Imagine how your life would be different. You know those relationships that are struggling, whether it's you and yourself, whether it's you and a loved one. You know that, that relationship that's strained, what if you fought for peace? I think that the Lord has called us to. And so Jesus calls us to a lifestyle of hospitality, to looking around the people among us and putting them above ourselves. That might be someone here. It might be someone elsewhere. And he calls us to do that so that our relationships can be the way that they're meant to be, so that we can be men and women of peace. So my challenge to you today is if you have peace you need to make, make it. It doesn't need to be today, right? Celebrate mom today, but soon, when peace need, if peace needs to be made, make it. And the next time we sit at communion, take a moment as the elements are passed out, examine your heart, and ask yourself if there's peace between you and God, and if not, change it then and there before you take the bread and the cup. And live your life as a person committed to peace. Father God, we thank you for the blessings that you have given us. Thank you so much for the opportunity we have to worship you. We thank you for the mother's in our lives, Lord. Sometimes those are the mothers that, that we grew up with. Sometimes it's a grandmother or a person who has spoken into our lives and had an impact on us. And Lord, for those who have, who have lost that person, we pray that you would give them comfort today. And Lord, for the rest of us, we pray that you would help us to remember, to reach out, and to show them love. That you would help us to, to change whatever is in our lives that needs to be given to you and transformed into a commitment of peace. That we would take the idea of hospitality and not just show it when we invite someone to dinner at our house, but always to consider the people around us first, to put their needs before our own, to make hospitality a lifestyle. We pray this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.